0: But the fact is, in a moment of breakdown, you have an opportunity for breakthrough, okay? Now, without that, met- that attitude in mind, then everything will be a chore.
1: Welcome to the Live Your Legacy podcast. The goal of this show is to help you live your own legacy by connecting you to people and concepts that have made a tremendous impact on the lives of others. Today's legacy guest is someone who has trained over 500,000 people over the past 25 years on personal and organisational excellence. He was certified as the youngest NLP trainer in Asia in 1997. And since then, he was an executive director of an eight-figure company, and he went on to become a best-selling co-author and author of two books, Master Your Mind, Design Your Destiny, and The Secrets of Internet Millionaires. Hundreds of organizations like HSBC, Citibank, AIA, to name a few, have called on him to train them on organizational change, leadership psychology, and personality profiling. Even the godfather of internet marketing Mark Joyner has described him as someone who has attained a degree of world-class mastery that few will ever reach. He is known for his mastery in personal excellence and a person everyone goes to for therapy and counselling. So introducing you, the person who Ken MacArthur said has quality that runs through his veins like pure gold and the granddaddy of NLP in Asia, Stuart Tan okay hi guys today we got Stuart Tan as for my introduction so just something very curious because in your trainings i've attended you always seem to talk about uh uncomfortability right so just want to touch on why uncomfortability is so important in a person's growth yeah uh i
0: I think the 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 challenge with most uh, people nowadays is that they have not seen things which have uh, inspired them to want to have discomfort uh, reason why I say this is because I mean let's take a look at uh, you know whether it's in the days of the war, you know uh, World War Two, World War One. Let's take a look at uh, the Indonesian tsunami that hit uh, quite a long time ago. Let's take a look at COVID nineteen. Right, people are now forced into a space where they end up becoming uncomfortable because that is what you call uh, being reactive, right? so you end up having to be. Uh, reactive to situations on a moment-to-moment basis. And this is pretty, pretty much how, uh, especially in Singapore and maybe in other parts of the world, there is this attitude towards the reactiveness. So a teacher gives you homework. You don't go to the teacher and say, can I have homework, right? Nobody says that, but it's a missed opportunity. You see? Uh, I still remember a time in secondary school. This, is, uh, this may sound nuts, but I was a little bit annoyed by the fact that no matter what I did, I always got, get a B3 you know for my English and my English isn't bad right I'm supposed to be scoring an A1 so I got so pissed off that I literally went up to my English teacher and I said I want to do two compose essays over what you give to the class then he was like okay so be it right and that was one of the maybe the strangest things and uh, he mentioned it in class and then of course you know most of my classmates would go like oh, what the hell are you doing you know you're spoiling the market and to me it was not about them i'm not interested in what you think about me i'm more interested in what i derive from it so maybe in a sense embracing suffering is like i still remember going back for one of my in-camp trainings and we were told to run 2.4 kilometers on the track back in camp so 2.4 kilometers for the average guy who isn't really very well versed in running right and you really hate running you don't like perspiring you've been sedentary most of your life running the six rounds around the track was firstly boring, secondly you can't even talk because you can't heave your breath anyway and uh, finally uh, the uh, issue of uh, after you're done you've, you've got the, uh, the so-called cool down which is not really a cool down it's more like a torture session you go through high intensity training interval training now the funny thing is after that I still see people running track running around the track after the two rounds of exercise so you've got the 2.4 done and then you've got high intensity interval training and then after that we're doing a like 10 minute warm down right 10 minute warm down these guys go back on the track and they just happily run and of course they are marathon runners they know how to play the game but to them it's just uh they're they're running very easily and they have no they're, they're breathless literally they're talking to each other laughing going along and to me that really stuck inside my head because in order for someone to reach that level of elite so-called fitness, I think they must have gone through a lot of rigor, right? The, The idea of whether you're training normally like a normal human person versus training like a real athlete, right? So if you want to train like an Olympian, you get Olympian results. But if you're training like the average Joe, then you get average Joe results. So I've always told people like, you know, what's the point of studying? I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, why should I go to university or poly or wherever? Why should I even study for my O-levels? And it's not about the studying. The studying is really beside the point. It's the attitude by which you study. So for example, uh, have you challenged yourself to memorize every single fact in a textbook? And if you don't know how to, surely you can go find out because there are people like Jim Quick, Nishan and all that online, You know, memory masters who can go up there and teach you how to do this stuff, right? I still remember going for about a month or two and saying, in order for me to get an A easily, I need to pack my time to uh, a, a really key performance indicator, which is, can I recall all of these facts? Because I think I can put things into an essay form, I can probably articulate my argument well. Problem is most people don't even have the facts to articulate. right? So I've already won half the battle, I just need the facts. So uh, I still uh, remember about what, 700 key points for my A-levels. Right. The, those, were, those were the two exercise books that I went through. And it took me barely like two and a half months, two and a half months to memorize everything to a point where I can throw you that exercise book. You can read out any of the numbers from one to 700 or whatever, and I'll be able to spill out that particular sentence, okay, or that key point. So my friends were going like, uh, you must be mad or all that, right? But unconventional methods are necessary for you to achieve unconventional results. I think it's important for us to recognize that. So if you want to get, you know, the other day I was having another coaching session and this lady was telling me, you know, I, I want to lose weight. Okay, sure, lose weight here, all the things. And then she so, says, yeah, I know intermittent fasting, I know dieting, I know caloric restriction, but isn't there an easier way to do it? Isn't there an easier way to do it? And I think that's the problem. I think Gary V. Smashes people like that all day long, right? It's like come on. You want a result You go invest your time into it, right? You don't learn a language overnight. You don't build muscle overnight. It is a regular thing It's not like uh, Simon Sinek talks about this. Can you prove that you love let's say your wife or your girlfriend? Can you prove that? Uh, how do you how if you say I love somebody? How do you how do you actually prove that you to love somebody? because it's not necessarily uh, very tangible, right? It's a long-term process. You don't go into a relationship and say, I've won because <laughs> I've proven my love. You know, it's, it's not like that. So it is a long-term progressive uh, involvement into this thing called life in general, whether you're suffering, whether you're experiencing discomfort, but more often than not, it's, it's being willing to go that extra mile. I know it sounds like a done cliche. It's like, oh, walk a thousand miles in the steps, uh, go the extra mile do whatever it takes all that kind of jazz i think it takes a very concerted effort for an individual to say look um i know where i'm going at least in the short term right i may not know what my life plan is but i know where i'm going maybe it's to pass the psle pass the o levels with um overwhelmingly positive results okay so what is my gap it's a very simple gap analysis where where am i where am i going um so in the context of overall achievement, I think most people's idea of uh, discomfort, right? I don't like discomfort. Who, who the hell likes discomfort? Nobody likes discomfort. I don't like the idea that I'm going to have to wait several months before I start training corporations again. I, I don't like the idea. But the fact is, in a moment of breakdown, you have an opportunity for breakthrough, okay? Now, without that method that attitude in mind then everything will be a chore it's like uh, why should I wash the dishes mom or why should I vacuum the floor or why should I pluck the fleas out of my dog why should I uh, paint the, 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 the walls for Chinese New Year etc etc there can be so many things we can complain about but until and unless you see a clear reason and meaning for you doing it um, or make up those meanings to do it like oh cleaning the uh, uh clearing out the wall that's why superstitions are developed right i'm cleaning up the place during chinese new year lunar new year because it's a good thing we welcome the wealth coming in right so you make up some stupid ass excuse just to go get it done it is a superstition right but the truth of the matter is some stupor- super superstitions <laughs> superstitions are moving people more so than conventional logic Okay? So you have to be the unconventional man in order to accomplish unconventional results
1: by applying unconventional wisdom. Okay, I really like the point where you say the moment of your breakdown is also your moment of breakthrough. Yeah. Right? So you were talking about the attitude of learning more than we can than, than we should actually have, mm-hmm. right? How do we adopt such an attitude to the point where you know, you can go to a moment of breakdown and instead yeah. of breaking down further, which probably pe- might, some people might break down even further, you actually experience such a breakthrough. So, uh,
0: my theory of life is that life gives you curve balls because uh, you can deal with it. Okay, um, And I-, I have to believe that because I'm still alive. Okay, otherwise I would have committed suicide, jumped off a building, whatever, I should have shot myself uh, somewhere. Now, the-, the truth of the matter is, in in life whatever we deem to be difficult right for example no uh, 7 year old would encounter being fired from a job okay but when you're 30 35 years old you might get fired from a job okay so when when you're much younger you encounter things which are of to a certain extent lesser in their uh, degree of suffering i may be wrong i mean i've actually encountered uh, some uh, children who've gone through uh, trauma right and that's one of the reasons why I'm so adamant that we need to learn how to heal ourselves as we go through life because otherwise what like for example a child being uh, a physically abused at the age of uh, like uh, four through seven years old for three years nonstop by caretakers and, and, and uh, whatever and then later on what do you think is the impact of that when they grow up and then they get fired it will feel like abuse as well, right? So they need to deal with this, otherwise that firing will become the straw that literally breaks the camel's back. Like this guy takes out a gun, goes to a a premier, shoots everybody, and then shoots himself, you know, that kind of thing. So we have to be mindful that it's always an escalating uh, increment to the the, the emotional uh, savagery that's taking place on the inside. So, why is it that there are some people who are unable to let go of the things of the past? Simply because they're all unconscious now. Right? Do you remember stuff when you were three years old? You don't, right? Nope. So, most people don't. And some people do. I, I have a fortune, good fortune of remembering one of my very first memories as uh, taking an airplane, looking down through the, the little window and seeing the clouds underneath. And that sort of like uh, gave me an idea. I think a lot of people who have difficult moments in life, when you close your eyes and ask them, get them to close their eyes and think about the first memory they actually had, usually it's a bad memory, it tends to pop up. Whereas I had a, I think maybe a neutral memory, it wasn't really like pleasant, it was just weird, it's a new experience, uh, because as a child looking down at the clouds, because most of the time the clouds are up there. right? So maybe that shifted my own perspective, literally. That, that forced me to you know develop a, a, a basis of looking at things from a completely different perspective. So, uh, when people are suffering and they're going through difficult moments, they need to remember that if you don't deal with that now, you're going to have an escalation of that later on. It's basically investment, all right? You put in an investment, and you keep dollar cost averaging, you're going to have an increase in your returns, in due course. Uh, emotions have a very high, Uh, in a sense, ROI, the more uh, fear you put into your fear bank account, the fear bank account goes this way, right? The more you put into your anger account, it goes this way because there are very high return stocks because it's emotion. It's not like logic. Logic is like that. You can logic your anger all your life and still not have an answer. You'll find like maybe stoicism or something. But there there are so many things that, that we can look into, but many people are not doing it. And there's one very simple reason for that. People are afraid, right? We're afraid of sweating. I mean, who wants to go run 2.4 kilometers every single day? Uh, When I was in officer cadet school, we were forced to run. We'll wake up at 4.30, go for the run from 5 to 5.30, change out, go eat our breakfast, then get ready for morning roll call. That was the kind of the nature, and we had to run the 2.4 in uh, gold standard timing every day. Otherwise, you run some more, right? which is like, okay, whatever, right? So most of us would not have seen the logic of it. But now, when I look back on it, I understand the logic of it. If you if you wake up early and then you get yourself warmed up, right, and you're able to hit a goal standard, then at the end of the day, the real test is not going to be the real test. You've already gone through the test many many times. And if you can't make it, then you do it again. Yes, you'll be weaker. You have less uh, energy. You you feel sore and all that kind of stuff but no muscle grows without soreness that's what hypertrophy is all about if you don't feel muscle soreness your muscles not going to be growing you need the micro muscle tears in order for the muscle to rebuild itself that's the process of protein synthesis right so nobody goes to the gym and says okay i'm going to tear my muscles today nobody has that in their mind but they understand the concept of failure that's why a test should not be the test if that's the first time you're seeing it it doesn't matter where you go, right? In a relationship, uh, in, a, in a business, um, in a uh, partnership. Uh, you should not go into that knowing that that's the first possible failure you're going to encounter. You need to pull that forward and say, I'm going to fail no matter what. Like, you know, sometimes it, 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 if you're not familiar with, uh, uh, say, video setup, right? It'll take you forever, it'll take you three hours to do it. But over a course of time, that learning curve is going to spike and then it's going to become easier and easier over time, right? And it's exactly the same curve, but nobody wants to climb that freaking mountain. It feels like Everest. Actually, it's just Bukitima from the person who's climbed Everest before, but it's going to feel terrible. Take a look at a cyclist. A cyclist going up, say... I don't know, there's Adam Road, right? If you're going opposite uh, Adam Road towards Farrer Road, there's an incline which, is, which burns when you're cycling and you want to maintain a pace, it will burn. But for an elite cyclist, that's nothing. It's a piece of cake, right? To them, they're, they're trying to figure out how to, to go up a much steeper slope. Um, but for a beginner, like a seven-year-old, that is too much to bear. Unless they've decided that they want to go for a steeper slope, and then they're taking that as a means towards the end. Right? So in business, some people will say, okay, let's go start a business. They fail, they feel like a worthless uh, person, and then they cannot climb back because they are unable to face the shame associated with that failure. Right? Likewise, those of us who've encountered uh, moments of suffering and we, we are fearful of opening that door to a shadow. Right? It's a very shadowy, dark, negative self but it's apparent in our day-to-day. Like maybe you have a temper issue, you snap at people. Or maybe you have a, a trust issue, you, you don't really trust certain types of people, or, or things. You, know, uh, you think that people are going behind your back doing things. All of these are patterns of behavior that are linked back to things of an earlier moment in our life. So in uh, what many people call uh, 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 a long-term game, Uh, Simon Sinek wrote the book, The Infinite Game. He talks about a very old uh, concept developed by, I can't remember who it was, but we are no longer just playing in games which are short-term and finite. So I am not going to build relationships simply because I treat you well and I expect you tomorrow to treat me well. It's it's the long-term. I can treat someone well now but I can only reap the benefits 10 or 20 years later. That, that is a form that I call a gravitational sacrifice. A gravitational sacrifice is something where, uh, and I just coined that term because I was coming to a uh, talk for, for the Toastmasters. They were thinking about, you know, how do we build cohesion within a team? And I said, you, you can have the task in your head, you know what to do, you know what the team exists for, and you know how to achieve a certain result. But across all of this, you're just taking blind action towards a blind result but you're not forging the right kind of relationship in order for that result to mean anything so you're gonna end up okay uh, you're supposed to do this and then you check all the things off your list and then you end up with the result and you're still not satisfied because the team has not cohesed right so the number one thing about gravitational sacrifice is bearing the negative so one of my uh, analogies is with uh Uh, I I know this is a little bit strange to talk about, but let's talk a little bit about chemistry and physics. right? Now, the strongest bond in the world is what? You don't remember your chemistry, right? (laughs) So there's there's basically two types of bonds. There's a third bond, but I won't talk about it. The two basic bonds are ionic bonds and covalent bonds, right? The strongest kind of chemical bond is a covalent bond. Diamonds are made up of covalent bonds, right? Four uh, carbon molecules, associated with each other because of the uh, sharing of the electron. Now, what does the electron represent? It is the negative charge. Without the negative, you cannot have cohesion. You cannot have bonding. And you cannot, by uh, any stretch of the imagination, think, oh, I just want to be positive. Hey, you know. But you know how it is, right? Uh, Positive and positive, what happens? Right, There's this repulsion. So we need to recognize that there is a place for the negative. When you embrace the negative, you bring people. I mean, haven't, hasn't there been situations where, uh, two, let's say there are two parties. Both of you experienced a positive uh, uh, situation that was similar in nature. Let's say you spoke with, uh, I don't know, maybe you spoke with Gary Vee, you had a photo shot and you had a private session with him. And another guy also had the same experience. You get to talk about it uh, and you bond. Right? There's a certain kind of bonding, but it doesn't really last. Whereas if both of you met the same idiot who cheated you of $100,000 worth of money, I can guarantee you that your bonding lasts for much longer. Right, And here's the thing, gravitational sacrifice means taking on the negative deliberately of somebody else. So you're in a sense, creating gravity, pulling people towards you by making a sacrifice. Now it's not easy to do that. right? So you don't simply go to somebody and say, hey, you know what, uh, let me sacrifice for you. <laughs> Someone that person will probably go like, you're nuts. Right? Uh, I, and I don't want to be indebted to you. But the truth of the matter is, people are already indebted to their own demons in some way or other. Uh, they are kind of like mired in their own demons in that sense, but they are unwilling to share it. They're unwilling to bring that to the fore and therefore uh, they don't receive help
1: because they feel that a lot of the time receiving help is a bad thing. Okay, so you were talking about deliberately making negatives, deliberately making sacrifices and even suffering, right? Well, uh, let let me clarify that. Deliberately taking on the negative
0: when you see it, not making the negative, right? Okay, so, but yes, you make
1: the sacrifice when you see the negative uh, out there. So that the bonding takes place okay yep. so you talk a lot about suffering right yep. how what's your meaning of suffering and how does one actually embrace
0: yeah suffering? so w- one of the stories that i can remember is uh this guy uh big time forex trader uh uh his call to fame was he was able to turn like uh, uh i think something like eight thousand dollars to 1.5 million dollars within the span of 18 months right uh, just through forex trading and i heard about him Uh, but I never really got a chance to meet him. We happened to share a seat at a panel uh, during a conference, and uh, you know, we we kind of like uh, hit it off. We we were on the same panel, you know, similarity breeds uh, familiarity. So he said, you know, why don't we come up for coffee? And lo and behold, we come up for coffee, and of course his story is very old, right? His story is so old that it is like, um, we're talking about three, four years in the past, now he's driving a Lamborghini. Right. He, he drives Lamborghini up to the cafe that we were supposed to meet, parks, gets out, says, hey, what's up? We have a chat, right? We we start to talk about uh, common enemies, <laughs> common uh, uh, friends and so on and so forth. And he asks me about uh, my opinion about certain things. Now, I knew it wasn't just like a, hey, let's get together, let's meet up, because what do I have to offer, right? I'm not a like a multi-millionaire that drives around Lamborghini, right? I'm just a guy who goes around educating people, but he was there. And the thing that he always talked about was how other people would say that I'm the real deal in NLP and stuff like that, right? Because I don't just teach the NLP thing. I also practice what I preach. Okay, fine. So we were talking about business, which is the external layer. It's very easy to talk about because this, this uh, facade I would say is a boundary which is accessible you can google someone you can know their business layer I decided to probe a little bit I went a little bit into the personal layer so this personal boundary has personal information In a one-on-one is easy to share in a large group maybe not so easy to share so I asked about his family asked about his challenges uh, what he used to do he used to be a uh, DJ of sorts and um, when he got to family, he started to talk about his relationship with his daughter. And at that point of time, uh, he, he would say that his daughter was afraid of him. So I started to inquire, you know, so now you've got a source of pain, you got a source of fear, right? Like, I can't even get close to my daughter. Okay. So I thought about it. I said, uh, maybe it's because of the nature of your approach. If you adjusted your approach, things may be different. I said, but how do I approach? Because I'm just this guy. He's like a big sized dude. I said, uh, perhaps you, I mean, think about what your your uh, daughter loves or, or, or is interested in or, or enjoys. And at that point of time, he thought about it and he said, actually, I'm not really sure. And that was sort of like a shift of perspective for him. So I took on the role of a mini counsellor. It wasn't really a counselling session. He went back. Next coffee session, he says, you know, me and my girl are best best buddies now, right? So... That kind of uh, storyline tells me something. It tells me that what I can offer as a gravitational sacrifice may be five minutes of a conversation, but it is gravitational enough for the other person because the interest and the concern of their negativity happens to match with my, my high-impact, minimal effort uh, approach to dealing with it. Like, Hasn't there been someone who um, feels indebted to you simply because you just like, were there for them, even though it was not you know, a very severe situation in your eyes. To them, it was really severe. They broke up with their very first girlfriend. They couldn't uh, sleep at night, whatever. You bought them some Maggie noodles at 7-Eleven or they were crying away, right? So they remember that because emotions are memorable. Subsequently, they, they, they are, in a sense, grateful for that relationship and therefore they maintain that relationship. Okay? So this is why uh, for, for the longest time, I feel that uh, taking on and uh, in a sense, helping to bear the burden of someone else's negative is a relative concept. So just recently, uh, uh, one of the top uh, uh, internet entrepreneurs in Singapore that I know, uh, uh, approached me t- to work out together with him. Right? He, he didn't do the whole selfie instagram thingy because uh he knows that i know some people that he cannot get along with and i and vice versa right so we decided to just keep it private and uh surprisingly um he was already receiving fitness advice from a pro that means he's paying paying this guy a few thousand dollars for like six months and he's just saying hey let's work out together and then uh he said in his whatsapp text message you know maybe you can I, you can guide me i'm going like I ain't a fitness instructor, right? But I have gone through the rigors of doing some kind of fitness re- regime for myself. So it worked out in uh, both our favors because uh, I think he's got some very unique business ideas, very sharp and very uh, much of a go-getter, something that I feel I can leverage on for myself just to learn from what he's doing. Uh, but at the same time, he's got a different agenda. He, he wants to go into biohacking and is relatively new at it. Whereas I've been doing biohacking since like 2016, 2015, right? So, in order for me to craft that uh, relationship, I take on what you deem to be negative, but I'm already ahead of the game. And likewise, he's willing to offer in the other respect. So, you can see how this covalent bonding, right, or this cohesion takes place between the two of us. Does it mean that we'll do business together? Probably not. Does this mean that uh, he'll pay me thousands of dollars just to be his fitness instructor? Probably not. But the idea is that we have exchanged ideas. I know what you're concerned about, and you know what I'm concerned about. We can exchange ideas and it's fair game, right? And we are in a position to offer that to each other. But mind you, he was a business guru uh, long before uh, we were able to come to this, right? So somehow our past diverged and we reconverged, right? He's a generally nice guy. So I don't mind hanging around with people like that. So, what is the kind of sacrifice one needs to do? Firstly, it's not just a sacrifice towards others, right? Because you want to uh, bring people, set, uh, network closer towards you. You need to put in additional effort, like yourself, right? You you could have easily said, "Hey, let's just do this on Zoom. Minimal uh, inconvenience. We'll just just do it uh, uh, virtually, right?" Um, but in this day and age to be able to come down, do the whole setup, uh, do your editing ahead of things is a a means to establish a relationship. So relationship building is just one thing, right? But then your gravitational sacrifice needs to also be applied to yourself, right? Because you also want something. And in order for you to get to that something, you need to sacrifice something in order to get to that something, right? There's no, uh, there is no sudden windfall.
1: Okay so you were saying about making sacrifices to get where you want to be yep. so just a question to you is what are your few greatest sufferings or sacrifices that you've gone through that created something that you really want or maybe you didn't create what you want but mm. it probably is your greatest sacrifice or suffering.
0: Okay so maybe I'll take a step back and talk about uh, how different people will have similar types of suffering right. Um, for instance, uh, being a leader is not an easy thing. Right? You, you need to hold people together, you need to acknowledge their pains, you need to listen to them, but at the same time, when you adopt leadership at a very young age, it is very likely that you have an ego as well. Okay, so there will be a clash. Okay? So this kind of uh, uh, so-called suffering it's not really like you know, you, you were, uh, your entire village was destroyed by the US forces with napalm. That's, that's completely on a different scale than this one. This one uh, is a very microcosmic uh, kind of an issue. But the problem is it consumes us, right? Uh, so I, I, I liken it to a white sheet of paper. And if let's say you put a black dot on it using a black thick uh, felt pen, uh, it looks like a blemish right but it it doesn't take away the idea that if you look at it from a third person's perspective that small little dot is just maybe a one percent out of that hundred percent so in general life is quite good that may be a few splotches of black there there and about. but that microcosmic focus forces you to take the black and put it right in front of you and when that happens the perspective is everything is black but you haven't taken perspective you haven't stepped outside of yourself to be able to see that there are different ways of perceiving it. Uh, I was watching a, a show and I liked this particular quote, um, to say that you have no choice is to have an extreme lack of imagination. Right? So when people actually encounter suffering, I mean, when I was a teenager and I was put into a leadership role, what did I know about leadership? So I had some brushes with uh, my peers and if I take a look at it back, now, back then, now, I'll come to a conclusion that I wasn't ready, but someone needed to do their job. Did I suffer? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, the, the target of a lot of verbal abuse, uh, a lot of uh, uh, disarray, because people would say that you know, I'm not doing my job, you know, I'm a lousy leader and stuff like that. But at the same time, without having gone through that experience, I wouldn't have known what my gaps were. So if I don't know what my gaps were, I couldn't find ways over time to close the gap, right? Nonetheless, I was frightened of taking on leadership positions later on. In fact, uh, immediately after my uh, leadership position, I went into the army, right? In the army, you're forced to take on, uh, or oh, you're the IC for this week. You're forced to take that on. I didn't like that at all. So I decided to put on stealth mode. I got into officer cadet school, I was in stealth mode and uh, for better or for worse that was one of the best things that happened in my life because uh, I was posted, unlike those who were top performers, I was, I was one of the lowest performers in the entire cohort. So I was posted to a place where everyone hated, which was the unit. Right? So I had a chance to experience what it was like to work with people who were unwilling to listen to you. But at the same time, there was this higher reverence for authority because you don't have uh, lieutenants and captains roaming around uh, all the time. right? So back then, if you're a second lieutenant, you're like the king of the world. Right? So it was a very big shock to me that the environment in which you're in actually can make a tremendous difference. So that forced me to wonder what leadership really was all about. Was it simply because of a lack of skill set? Or is it because I was the the right person in the wrong place at the wrong time? Okay, so it turns out that I came full circle because I ended up teaching leadership, which is very funny because when I share this story, almost everybody that I teach resonates with the idea that nobody wants to listen to you uh, even though you're in an authority position. And that tells me that the gap that I covered over that period of time was useful to them. I've come full circle. They are in the process of coming full circle. They just needed perspective to say that just because you couldn't do that doesn't mean it's a hopeless situation. It just means you need to imagine a completely different perspective. So that's one situation that, that has, uh, in a sense, helped me to overcome certain ideas behind uh, leaving, uh, being in the spotlight, and so on and so forth. Second one is, I won't call this really suffering, but, some people would feel the burn so as a speaker i started off in the toastmasters 1998 uh, i was timed out you know i got disqualified because i got timed out in my first competition cuz i didn't even know what the rules were right so 1998 i participated in two competitions uh, got timed out because i went in an irrelevant track and then you know that's it uh, but I was impressive in my speech because I had already received my NLP training so a lot of people were willing to come up and say, hey, you know, you've got hope, just understand what the rules were. 1999, uh, I participated in two or three other competitions for some strange reason, even though I knew what the rules were, I came in second. And it got frustrating because I'll keep coming in second every single time. 20, uh, year 2000, I came in second at least in two competitions. 2001, that was the one that took the cake because I went all the way up. I really fought my way up to the division level, which is just before the international. So division was still competing among Singaporeans. Uh, I had a flu. I went in, I competed. I, in a sense, timed myself out, but in the opposite way. I didn't go over time. I spoke under time. And I was so angry because when I went to sit, I still realized that the green light was on. Usually, you, know, you go green, amber, and then red, right? So I knew that I would know, wasted an opportunity. So when they announced the result, guess what? First runner up again. Now, lo and behold, that was the first time where the division champion, whom, in my opinion, was not really an articulate speaker, right? So, uh, but he had won because of his well-structured speech. He went to the division governor and he said, look, during the time of the district competition, I can't compete because I've got a conference in Hawaii. So, of course, the responsibility falls on the guy who came in second to go. Guess what? The district level, I came in second again. It was infuriating. I tell you, it was one of those moments where it's not suffering, but it's like the the finish line is just there and yet you can't reach it. It was a a very... um, Uh, I wouldn't say negative, but it was a very interesting period of my life. So that was when I decided to take on the gravitational sacrifice for myself. I knew that no one, it's bad marketing to go out to people and say, you gotta listen to me because I'm number two. (laughs) Right, it's bad marketing. So I needed to get a spot in first position somewhere. It doesn't matter where, I just need to go and get it. 2002, I took on the gravitational sacrifice of participating over and above my club meetings to visit as many clubs as I could. I, I, I think I would have visited hundreds of clubs during that half year. So that by the time I was taking part in the evaluation speech competition in, in 2002, uh, it would not have been the first time taking part at that level. Right? So when I got there, uh, you know, it was one of those things where uh, I, I did my piece, I learned my lessons from the past, Uh, made sure that I maximized my time, said what I needed to do, make sure I was unique. And then I was sitting down in the audience after my speech, trembling because the fear kicks in only after you realize it's done. Maybe you finished, maybe you didn't. And that was where the contest chair came up and then he started to do this whole song and dance thing. So everybody, do you want to know the results? I mean, everyone was ready to throw their shoes at him because it's like, of course, why are we waiting here, right? We want to know the results. So he says, so the second runner up, because they announce in third, second yep. and first position, second runner up goes to somebody. And then we were, like groaning in the audience because he's trying to make the, the tension higher, right? And it turns out it's this guy who was um, uh, uh, an American representative who was living in jakarta so he came in second runner up and uh, in my mind i watched him he was really really good he's a uh, uh, very articulate he had some kind some level of charm and you know i mean back in those days this is 2002 where the uh, american typically trumps the chinese guy right so he came in third position so at the back of my head i was going like ah, okay wow this is tough right maybe i didn't even make it Second runner up goes to somebody from Singapore. Then I was going like, oh no, not again. Right? Turns out it was another guy, another competitor. And then I said, okay, well, this is it. Either I made it <laughs> or I'm not even listed. So the first position uh, he announced. So ladies and gentlemen, champion for district 51 Toastmasters evaluation speech competition goes to, and then it is very funny because when they an- he announced, before he announced my name, people behind me were already shouting my name. So I knew that even if I didn't get it right, at least I got a fan club. So when he announced my name, uh, it was funny because they were playing the theme song from Rocky, you know, the the Gonna Fly Now. And it sounded so familiar because that's the theme song that we used to use in our previews, in our seminars and stuff like that. I went up, collected the prize, and uh, that was how history rewrote itself. Now, that is what I would consider a moment of triumph that comes only with a gravitational sacrifice, right? If that had dropped on my lap, it wouldn't have meant anything. It's like ah, uh, everyone else is lousy, so I'm the best amongst the worst, you know that kind of thing. So, if life were to become better for anybody, uh, seven-figure or six-figure business, right? Uh, clients clamoring at your at your doorstep, um, friends are willing to support you in moments of trouble. Um, uh, whatever, whatever call, uh, call to fame, right? Becoming famous, having uh, 2 billion followers on Instagram, whatever, right? Now, in order to reach that, what was that initial gravitational sacrifice that draws people to you? If there isn't, then you're just like the man in the street. You're just like the guy who's next to you. Although nowadays, next to you means at least one meter away, right? So the the issue with suffering is that it's not that it is a very unique thing. I mean, more recently I've experienced uh, uh, business crashes and it was funny because I recognized that it was a a bad series of business decisions, but I was willing to just go bite the bullet, right? That year, horrible business results. I mean, revenue was okay, but the expenditure was way too high that it literally uh, caused me to have to fire all seven members of my team. Then the following year, on my own, I surpassed the revenue for the previous year on my own. So it was like, uh, doesn't quite make sense then, why why should I hire anyone? So I had to learn the the nasty lessons by having to put the burden of that suffering or that negativity, I, I can tell you it feels bad when you cannot uh, choose to eat that uh, omakase sashimi meal from the favorite uh, Japanese restaurant that you, that you love going to. Right? That would have been 150 bucks. But then 150 bucks when translated to the times when you can't afford it is a heck of a lot of money. Right? 150 bucks can feed you for easily two months, there are ways to do it, trust me. Uh, so, uh, and I've done it before. So the, the, the challenge now was that I had to rationalize why did I have to go through that form of suffering uh, is it's one of the challenges of what I call self-awareness analytics. Nobody pays attention to their suffering because they're too afraid of it, they don't write it down, uh, and therefore they don't have any means to reflect upon it. If you don't reflect upon it, then how are you supposed to learn? I spent long days and nights reflecting upon it, how stupid I was, how bad a decision it was, uh, you know, taking two hundred thousand dollars worth of loans from the bank because it was available, you know that kind of thing. So getting into a six-figure hole, to the average person, is like oh, life is over. To me, it's like six figures. Okay, you can deal with it within five to seven years. Very easy, right? Uh, but nobody thinks about it that way. It's like wow, six-figure debt. Yeah, you're in trouble. The truth is, if you want to go big, you may have to play big but you also need to learn the necessary lessons and the mistakes. That's one of the reasons why, uh, I can't remember which TED speaker said this, or is it a Tom Bill You speaker, right? Uh, It was a lady. She said this, iconic people used to be inspirational. Do what you felt that you could never have done before. Okay, Positive motivation. But nowadays, people are not interested in that. People are interested in what were your iconic mistakes so that I don't have to make those mistakes ever. And when you learn those mistakes, and you go like, ah, oh, wow, that's the biggest uh, revelation that I can make. The idea of having an inspirational speaker makes it very passe, right? whereas a vulnerable speaker who shares all their suffering and mistakes makes it all the rave, okay? So why? Gravitational sacrifice, bearing the negative, right? And on top of that, you do yourself a favor when you're able to share the negative because it tells people you're over it if you can't share it and it's too private or personal to you, then it must mean that you haven't overcome it yet right so um, for example, we know some people who have been so-called pardoned from uh, life sentence uh, uh, by you know the queen or the president or whatever, uh, and they live a miserable life. In, in a hellhole because of some, I don't know, drug situation or whatever. And then when they're pardoned, there's this presidential pardon, these people come out and then they work like hell because they know that things would have been much worse, right? because now they appreciate the difference between what was and what is. Do we? I don't think we do. So we had an earlier conversation about um, uh, people your age or even younger. And the reason why I feel many of them are fine Going into discomfort or times of so so called out of the comfort zone is so limited is primarily because we have a relatively comfortable life. If you threw yourself uh, to live in let 's say a place like China where everyone is smarter than you, everyone is more driven than you, and you live there for five years and you have no choice but to make a name for yourself right you find that the dynamic is very different in Singapore, the government takes care of you hey, you know we even have. Um, nine months worth of payout to self-employed, which is crazy, right? Which government does that? I mean, you've got un- unemployment benefits in the United States, which probably uh, gives us, a, I mean, waiting for the queue is already going to cost you more than the payout you're gonna get, which is like, then why do you wanna queue up, right? It's pittance. So that's why a lot of entrepreneurs have shifted, especially in the U.S., They've shifted from collecting coupons, food coupons, to moving into a mode where I'll never want to do that. So what does this mean? If I don't want to suffer this way, then let me choose my suffering. Let me choose my suffering. If I can choose my suffering, then the imagination knows no bounds as to the solution that I can create for myself. But when you end up in a situation where you have no choice but to bear suffering, then you're in trouble, right? Like, uh, let's take a look at cancer. You have no choice but to suffer from cancer. What did that mean for your past? Means you didn't eat right, you were following a lot of myths from the average uh, health promotion board in whichever country you're in. Uh, you, You didn't really take care of your health, period, right? Your mental health was at stake and so on. You didn't really form or forge a really clear life vision for yourself. Okay. Uh, if you're suffering from toothache, what does that mean? It's an, uh, did you choose it? Maybe unconsciously you did, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is you did not take care of your dental health. That's why you now have to go for your root canal or whatever it is. Right. Simply put, if you are at the stage where you have no choice but to
1: change, it means you haven't really invested in your sacrifice. You didn't choose it. So what you're saying is that sacrifices are actually choices made by people. It's whether you make it in the present or you make it before where you are.
0: Well, yeah. So you either make it uh, reactively or proactively. So if you're making it reactively, then you have no choice. You have to go through it. It's not a fun feeling. Sometimes uh, the reactiveness is due to uh, a, a, a trauma or catastrophe. No choice, right? But if you have already practiced it, that means instead of studying uh, two hours a day, you spent 12 hours a day, just simply because you wanted to practice the rigor. Instead of exercising 45 minutes, you exercise three times 45 minutes a day, right? just so that you could go through the rigors. Instead of uh, sweeping your own room, uh, you tell your mom for this entire month, I'm gonna clean the entire house, right? and you just put yourself to it, I'm pretty sure, that when the the unprecedented suffering takes place, the character that you've built from the previous taken on sufferings and sacrifices that you've made are going to be
1: put to good use. It will feel bad, but it will feel like things are possible. Okay, so you talk about proactive suffering, right? Okay, Maybe after people watch this uh, podcast and video, then they'll know, okay, suffering is a choice. But for people who until now have been getting reactive suffering like what yeah. you say how do we deal from reactive suffering let's say maybe like um, it's something that we cannot really control maybe it's like parents passing on or something really personal that that was a breakdown maybe you can share some of your stories that how you were able to get out of such uh, place of suffering yeah so
0: uh, a person's character is not forged overnight right um, it is In my opinion that there's some people who live a very uh, blessed life where life is plain sailing Um, and then a small glitch in that causes a relatively big suffering for example oh my pet goldfish died I know you might laugh at it but maybe that's the worst thing that ever happened to them okay now I did mention this once in a seminar and I think there were some of the millennials in that, and this was like quite a few years ago. A few of the millennials were quite offended by that thought. It's like, oh, you're talking down to me. Now, mind you, from a relative standpoint, I'm not saying that your sense of suffering is any less than the suffering of someone who uh, owned a billion dollars and then become, became bankrupt, like Donald Trump in his earlier days, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the, the feeling you get of the suffering is almost exactly the same but it's hard to compare, right? Is your suffering greater than my suffering? It's your suffering, period, right? You just need to go through with it. Um, so h- how do you begin to neutralize something like this? this? Is firstly, and again, it's multi-pronged. It's a very, very long-drawn process. Sometimes it requires therapy, sometimes it requires counseling, but ultimately you need to go back and you need to open the door to the shadow, right? This is partly in the process called individuation from early Jungian psychology most of us are brought into an environment where we're not all together, right? We're fragments of our original intended self. Uh, And this is a sad thing because most people encounter fragmentation due to uh, a shame of sharing their, their difficulties. Like, I know a lot of people face the shame of sharing their relationship failures because society has institutionalized marriage as if that is the only path to a relationship okay now I'm not saying that's right or wrong I'm saying that everybody has a choice that I know that there are some people who uh, would enjoy a marriage who can't like those people who are in the LGBTQ community uh, and then there are those who would rather not be married right they'd rather be married to their job or their hobby or whatever it is now uh, having failed in my relationships in the past I've come to realize that uh, in in moving from one relationship to another, I've always thought about, okay, how do I find the next best person? But I never thought about how I could be the next best person. right? Uh, so uh, after I ended up having the best person in my, re- in my marriage, then I ended up in a divorce. The question is, then was I the right person for the other person, right? or was it just a myth? And uh, it's a combination of various things. We were there at the right time, right circumstances, but we were not really the right people. We had an idea that maybe we were the right people, but it's just a facade, right? I mean, everybody loves romance novels. Everybody loves uh, romantic, uh, I love you three thousands type of thing, but that's fantasy, right? The reality is gravitational sacrifice. (laughs) The reality is when he or she is under tremendous duress and you are also and if you demand the other person to uh, sacrifice for your benefit then you are being selfish instead in spite of your burdens you still look toward the other person you still bear the other person's load right so take a look at relationships like uh, okay your your uh mom is working and and she's really tired she comes back home and she realizes that you have dumped your clothes on the floor you know uh eaten your lunch but haven't cleaned up the the plates and so on and she's the only one at home so what would she do she either nag at you oh come on you should have cleaned blah 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 but as she's saying this she's cleaning everything up for you right now that is what maternal sacrifice really is but when you turn it back on relationships, you turn it back on partnerships in business, you turn it back on friendships. And then we have to ask ourselves, have we gotten past that initial boundary of the facade down into the personal and the private, the core of us? The closer you want to get to another person, the more of these boundaries need to shed. You need to be raw at the core. right? So. Uh, many of the uh, so-called uh, sacrifices and the pains and all that that the people have gone through they don't recognize how they formed it because they don't have a basis they, they they think that what society is giving to them is what they should be doing right whether it's the education institution or whether it's uh culture and so on so because of this issue many people live in a fake reality. If anybody has watched The Matrix, uh, I highly recommend the show, right? You need to unplug yourself and start looking at reality from different perspectives, not just uh, an objective perspective because that doesn't really honestly exist, it's just from different perspectives. Um, I believe that perspective is like one degree across a 360 degree of a sphere. Well, not really a 360, that's, that's, a, that's a circle, right? But if you think about it from a three-dimensional perspective, one perspective is you're only capturing one point, one tangent on the entire sphere, whereas there could be hundreds more all around. And when you start shifting your perspectives, you see new things and therefore you expand your model of the world. Your map of the world is increased, you become wiser, you become more uh, clear that what you see is really not always the truth. Right, So uh, visiting your shadow is one of the few ways by which you can offer yourself a perspective of the polar opposite of who you think you are. Right. You think you're gentle, but actually you're very violent. Right. You think you're very kind, but actually you're very selfish. You think you're very um, generous, but, but you know actually you are quite a miser. So there are, there are polar opposites of us that, that we sometimes are already unconsciously fighting against and until we can actually merge these and have them in their own place. Like uh, selfishness is valuable in self-care. You take care of yourself before you take care of someone else. Why? Because in the airplane uh, metaphor, the oxygen mask, it takes like a split second for you to pass out if there's a, a lack of oxygen, right? If the younger ones pass out, that's fine, right? You take care of yourself, then you can put on the mask for other people. That's what the self-care metaphor is. Uh, if you are angry, right? Anger can be brought uh, to the fore when let's say you want to seek justice for criminals. That, that may be useful, right? But you know, uh, everything has its own place um, and value. And until we can actually see this uh, uh, in ourselves, it's very unlikely that we will see suffering as valuable. Right? Um, I suppose you can, you can see it from a slightly, uh, I mean, th- this is probably an old adage with the, the statue of Michelangelo, right? So uh, sorry, statue of David that Michelangelo was making. So he will chip away, he will see this big boulder there and he'll chip away. And then uh, people are thinking like, why are you wasting time on a rock? And then it turns into this beautiful statue of David that is now immortalized. Right, as a work of art um, so a lot of people like uh, Joe Vitale in The Secret says that that David that we are sculpting is yourself right, I believe uh, that we are if we are the rock and we are the rough then sculpting yourself creates tension and pain right no precious or semi-precious stone is perfect in its original form. You don't see the thing that you see on, your, on the diamond ring in its original form, you wouldn't dig that out. But you have to take the rough and you need to cut it out, polish it, and that represents getting rid of what shouldn't belong in order for its shape to take place. This way, and only by this way, then you can literally be a cut above the rest. Right? So, sacrificing those things in order to be something greater of yourself very important
1: okay I really really love how you talk about gravitational sacrifice the choice of really being reactive and proactive suffering and everything is a choice right Um, so just before I ask my last question where can these people connect and find you and learn more about you
0: okay so they can head down to stuarttan.com and uh, yeah find me there or almost any other social media I'm on Instagram I'm actually on Twitter not very active but I'm
1: most active on uh, both LinkedIn and Facebook okay great so uh, my last question is what is the legacy you want to leave and create in this world yeah
0: so i believe that everybody needs to have a clear mission in their life i've always thought about personal mastery as the end goal but i've come to recognize that people need support along the way right Uh, just as i've encountered uh, down moments and i've got good friends to kind of like buoy me along the way I think that the knowledge that I have and the experiences that I have, although not unique in general as a category, they can help to buoy people on their way towards their their own personal life vision. So as an educator, uh, I've always thought of uh, empowering people with knowledge. As a healer, I've always thought of uh, being able to elevate people beyond the level of uh, suffering and uh, to get them to think differently about difficult moments in their life, right? because that could be the turning pivot point in their life that turns them from uh, washout to you know, hero. Right. Uh, so the, the legacy ultimately is that people can hold their head up high in times of uh, downpour, that people will still maintain their course in spite of a storm, that people will keep climbing no matter how high that mountain is to them, no matter how steep, that they just need to take one additional step forward uh, in order for them to go past that apex
1: okay great so um as we covered today a lot about sacrifices and suffering and guys if i had enough time or a few hours with him i would spend the whole day picking up like all his cells from his brain, (laughs) because this guy has attained a mastery of level that so few can ever reach so i just want to thank you for today pleasure